Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a kickoff edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. And I'll tell you, the overwhelming, inescapable impression I have coming out of this game is wow. Imagine when this team hits its stride. I'm sure that we all watched a lot of college football this Saturday, this Sunday, this last Thursday, coming up on Monday. Uh, it's, It's sort of a mecca of college football. I'm sure that we watched uh, quite a number of games and there were a lot of games where you could clearly tell, wow, it must be the first week. It's clumsy play. Clean, uh, teams did not look up to their billing. Uh, either they were not prepared or just the billing was wrong. And so there's a lot of teams that we got to see uh, that we recognize, hey, they're going to improve as the season moves on. This is why there is the expression midseason form, uh, because we didn't see that from a lot of teams over this weekend. But when you look at Alabama, wow, that looked pretty close to a midseason form uh, in terms of the, uh, the the production. I think there were total uh, 500 yards, certainly 44 points with all of the replacement uh, up and down the coaching staff as well as up and down the roster. And not just players being replaced, but the stars that were being replaced for Alabama to roll out such an impressive win, such an impressive showing. It really does make you uh, think, does this team have room to improve? Yes, spoiler alert, they do. And uh, how much better can this team look uh, when it uh, gets a couple of three games under its belt and really sort of evolves into a midseason form when it's a sort of a hardened, gelled product uh, that's rolled out? Boy, that's uh, that's going to be really, really impressive. So let's jump in. Uh, offense like we do. Uh, let's hit a couple of three uh, more bullet points that I have. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll try not to dive too deeply into any any single of these, but I think uh, I think we'll sort of shotgun uh, some critical topics and some interesting points across the offense and the defense that uh, you may not be seeing in uh, some of the the media outlets. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't start with Bryce Young and all the headlines and all the articles and everything that is everything reporting that the game is going to start with Bryce Young. I'm going to start with Bryce Young. I'm just going to take a little bit of a, a left turn in, in some of the analysis or in uh, some of my thought process here. So, look, everything that's being said, all of the sort of exhaustive expression of how well Bryce played is 100% accurate. I don't take away from any of that at it, it all. I am right there sort of leading the charge. Uh, I thought his poise his and his composure uh, was top shelf. Uh, I think he looked better than, you know, maybe Mac did in some of his starts. Uh, That is a point of comparison, not a a full-blown comparison. Uh, I think Bryce scrambled to pass as opposed to scrambling just to run. And so he was uh, reading his uh, progressions. Uh, I think of uh, almost the juxtaposition between Tua and uh, Jalen. Jalen would run to run and Tua would scramble uh, to set his feet and pass. And if if you take those as sort of two polar extremes, uh, Bryce was much more in the direction uh, of Tua. And again, I'm not comparing any more than just style of play, uh, not one being better than the other, but there's a certain style of play. And so Bryce, who has the ability to, to, to move, uh, I don't know that he's as mobile as, as Jalen necessarily as a downfield runner, but he's a very mobile. Bryce is a very mobile player, and uh, he certainly scrambled to pass. Uh, I think the opening touchdown to uh, – I'd have to thank uh, ESPN for not getting to see that because uh, the other game running over and such. But uh, the uh, on, upon replay, the opening pass, the opening touchdown uh, to Mechie was clear evidence of – 
uh, early in the game when a player is going to have maybe some anxiety, so, some uh, adrenaline uh, that Bryce rolled out very calm, very composed, looked like a veteran, uh, set his feet, knew the progression, knew where the receiver was, and threw uh, a nice ball, a nice catchable ball to Mechie, who was able to turn that into a touchdown. And so that's good on both players. But that, in a nutshell, opening drive of the game, really set the tempo. Dude's ready. Dude is ready to play. And I think 100% uh, in agreement with everything that you're going to see or read, sort of all the uh, uh, the breathless commentary that you'll get on uh, that you'll get on that. Uh, I think uh, I, I think it's it's appropriate and fair uh, for Bryce. A lot of the interviews that I saw, or a lot of the articles I saw, were written off of Bryce's interview, and uh, and then it's just a sort of a regurgitation of that. And one of the things that Bryce said is that he was very pleased. Uh, He didn't use the word honored, uh, but that's sort of the impression that I got, that it was really inspiring and confidence building within him uh, that uh, Bill O'Brien, second play of the game, allowed uh, Bryce to to throw the ball down the field. And uh, and that's true. That does demonstrate a confidence in in the young uh, signal caller, in in the young quarterback. Uh, I think that's chess. Uh, I think there's a there are at least two other components that you can wrap around that decision uh, that sort of convert that uh, from chess to checkers. So did we have confidence in the quarterback to allow Bryce to throw down the field on the second play of the game? Yes, absolutely. That is true. No debate there. Uh, I think there's uh, I think there's two different levels or layers that you could wrap around that. Uh, Bryce certainly didn't reference them, and, uh, and I haven't seen these in, in any of the interviews as well. But let's think about it from a coaching standpoint. Uh, and, and, and actually, uh, the two points I want to make are both coaching related. Uh, let me knock one out real easy. Hey, we predicted this. Uh, this was in our preseason that very early in the season, we needed to establish Jamison Williams as a down, uh, downfield threat. We needed to go to him to demonstrate his speed, to, to spread the field uh, vertically. And so we knew that. We predicted that weeks ago. And so the fact that they did that second play of the game, yep, all right, we called that one. Uh, but – it was also true. We said that we need that Jamo needed to make plays. Not just he, it couldn't be an empty threat. We had to we had to pull the trigger on that play for it to be a threat. But he needed to catch some passes and demonstrate his speed speed for it to be a viable threat. Well, we did see that later in the game where he absolutely uh, uh, took a pass, turned on the Jets, and went for a long run. So uh, it's established that we will throw down the field to him, even with the young quarterback, and that he has the speed. Uh, and athletic capability and, and the hands uh, to make the play work. So it's a live, it's a loaded gun to use an expression. There's another layer, and this is where this becomes uh, sort of a chess match, a chess game, as opposed to just a checkers game. How many times have we seen at the start of a season a young quarterback, someone coming in off the bench, and they and they overthrow their passes, they overthrow uh, their receivers. It's a simple, wow, we set them up with just a single, uh, a simple little uh, swing pass or uh, just something over the middle or just something over in the flats. It's just a silly, stupid, simple play uh, wide open. It's pitch and catch. You do this in the hallway uh, of the dorm. It's such an easy pass. And and the quarterback is so hyped up, so full of adrenal, adrenaline and energy that he overthrows the ball. Now, sometimes that's an incomplete pass. Sometimes that can have, in, in a confined space, that can have uh, negative uh, negative reper- uh, repercussions if if it goes to a defender. And so, how do you how do you, how do you mitigate that? Let her rip. Uh, throw it down the field. So if you overthrow him down the field. Nobody catches the ball. Uh, worst case, if they do catch the ball, it's a 40-yard punt. But throw the ball down the field. And then what you do is you just let the quarterback almost exhaust that initial burst of, of adrenaline. They're going to roll out. They're going to roll back. They're going to heave it. And all of that adrenaline is going to go in a 40-yard pass as opposed to a three-yard uh, outlet um, uh, outlet pass. Then you come back. Now you hope you catch it. You hope you connect. You, you have sort of stretched the defense. You've done all of these things, but what you've also done, whew, exhale quarterback goes back to the, uh, uh, back to the huddle, uh, gets the next play, whether it can, com- whether it completed or not, 
it, it sort of burned off some of that initial uh, initial sort of burst uh, adrenaline that the uh, the quarterback had. And I think that's part of what we saw Bryce there as well. You've got to trust the guy to let him do it, but then you've got to let him do it so he can settle down and then just get into the flow of the, the game. How many times have we heard quarterbacks say, after I get that first hit, I kind of settle down? Well, sometimes just letting rip of that first ball can have a similar uh, a similar impact. And I think that's I think that's a little bit maybe what we saw with Bryce. And it'll be interesting to see when we get into sort of the midweek interviews if we don't see uh, that kind of layered in again. But uh, uh, definitely a, a couple of thoughts that I had just on that play, Bryce's commentary around it, and uh, and then certainly just the play of the game uh, or the play of uh, throughout the game, not of the game, but throughout the game, the play throughout the game. I thought Bryce is really, really on top of his game. Uh, he passed for over – I mean, it was four touchdowns, obviously record-setting in, in that regard, uh, which was uh, interesting. I forget the yardage that he had, well over 300, 350 ballpark, and so off. that was record-setting in that regard. And, and, of course, Alabama offense had over 500, or right at 500 yards uh, total offense. So certainly uh, certainly productive there, and Bryce uh, was instrumental, as is the quarterback always in a successful offensive uh, showing. So uh, hats off there. Alabama scored in the first five possessions, uh, three touchdowns, uh, two uh, two kicks, and so uh, you could reason that the game was over early. Uh, and again, so that's something certainly that that is good to see in an opening week kickoff. Uh, there were a lot of games uh, where teams uh, literally uh, just sweated out. Uh, <laughs> I joked uh, there was a guy they showed on TV for the uh, the Oklahoma game, and they said the temperatures were touching you know 100 there, so it was just super hot. And this Oklahoma fan looked like a big guy, kind of like me, and was just just drenched in sweat. And it was a five point game late in you know late in the fourth. And I just turned to uh, the folks I was watching the game with, and I said, "That dude right now, his thought bubble says I have sat in too much of this damn heat for this." And so, as Alabama fans, we didn't have to endure that. Uh, so that's that is uh, certainly good. The uh, offensive line. I want to talk a minute about the offensive line. I think this is one of the areas where the offensive line played well, but there's a uh, a significant ramp uh, for improvement, and we're going to start to see that uh, over the coming weeks. I want to give a, just sort of a shout-out or credit to uh, Kennesaw Caleb uh, on one of our Zoom calls. Uh, he brought uh, brought up the prospect of uh, uh, Dalcourt taking over the job at center and uh, allowing Chris Owens to – uh, flip over to the right tackle spot. And this is, uh, had a little, had a little bit to do with Kendall Rudolph's ankle and then a little bit with just the consistency of snaps, uh, from, from Owens. Uh, but Owens, uh, still being one of our better linemen and, uh, better offensive leaders wanted to keep him on the field, uh, to the extent that we could. And so I thought that was very compelling, very interesting, makes a lot of sense. And that's exactly what happened. And so uh, Dalkert took over uh, the center spot. Uh, he has been sort of the center in waiting for the last couple of years. And he, I thought, acquitted himself very well Saturday uh, against Miami. So uh, Darian Dalcourt, I think, is definitely a player that we're going we're gonna to look to uh, solidify that center spot as we move forward. Chris Owens at that right tackle position now, I think that's going to be interesting. Randolph came back. But uh, he ended up playing more at the tight end position, which is kind of something that we had forecasted uh, as well. I thought Chris Owens played well. I do think J.C. Uh, Latham is still the player to watch there. There was a point in the game. Uh, it just sort of caught my eye. I, I don't know if Chris lost a shoe or he lost a helmet or there or, or got dinged. I, I don't I don't recall exactly, but there was a reason that he went out for a play or two and J.C. went in. And again, just right off the bench, and it seemed very quickly, uh, and then again, it was just a play or two, uh, but I thought he played well. He looked good in those instances, and so that's just a, it's almost a non-consequential snapshot, but you know, nonetheless, there it is. He didn't walk out on the field and, and fall on his face. I do think he's going to get worked into, Jay, talking about JC, I think he's going to get worked into the position more and more this next week against Mercer, probably a really good opportunity for him to get, you know, 20, 25, 30 uh, snaps and so that'll be in, uh, an interesting opportunity to see how he acquits himself there. I think JC is on the rise, and I think when he gets a little bit under him, his talent level will pass Chris Owens. I think Chris Owens' experience right now is putting him ahead. JC has the talent, not the experience. And right now, Saban loves his floor. Let me just let me understand the floor, and I can build from it. I can't build from an in, from a floor that I don't know where it is. 
Once I know the floor, I can build. When JC gets closer to that same level of floor, he'll take over the job because his floor will continue to rise uh, because I think net-net he's going to be a better player than Chris Owens. Nothing against Chris Owens. JC's a talent. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I do think uh, – I don't like the term unsettled at the offensive line because that has a negative connotation, but we're not settled at the offensive line. So I think we're, we're still a little bit of work in progress there. I think the first two, three weeks of the season – is, will be an extension of camp. We've said that before. We've seen that before, especially on the offensive line. There's always a point. There's always sort of a milestone point when we'll when we will know this is what the offensive line looks like. Looks like uh, a couple of years ago, Deontay Brown was suspended for the first uh, four games of the season. We knew that the offensive line would not be officially finally settled until. Deontay came back, and that was that was what gave us the opportunity to put Lance Dickerson in at the center spot. So that would have been 2019, right? And I think last year we were probably a little more settled out of the gate, uh, but still, uh, we've had the we've we've seen this before, right? And so uh, nothing to worry about. We had a I thought a good showing across the offensive line. It will get better, and there will be personnel movement, and uh, and it will be better as a result of that. So. That'll be an interesting thing um, to keep uh, keep an eye out on. Um, the running backs, I want to say all three offensive uh, or all three running backs looked really good. I know that I know that there was a fourth back and uh, he had a fumble uh, that turned out he still fumbled the ball. Uh, it was going to be a loss of possession, but it turned out that uh, Roydell, uh, he got the ball back. Roydell Williams, he got the ball back. And so it was it was less offensive, uh, but it was still a fumble. And I don't know that he came back uh, after that. So he only had, I didn't look at the stats, maybe two or three carries. So I'm not really counting him when I say all all the running backs looked good. Uh, the three at the top of the list, I thought all looked really good. Uh, Brian Robinson, uh, Brian Robinson looked really good. I thought he had, now he's a workman running back. He averaged right at five yards of carry. That's about what he's going to do, but that's a that's a good number. Uh, he's a physical uh, runner, absolutely, and we like that. We love that. Uh, he's a seasoned runner, uh, a seasoned player on the team. We certainly like that as well. I thought he demonstrated a little more burst uh, Saturday than we've seen from him. He seemed to, when he got into the open field, have an extra gear or have a little extra uh, in his step that um, uh, that I enjoyed seeing. And so getting him more carries, more reps, uh, yeah, I think there's an opportunity that uh, that he can uh, that he can break uh, break some nice runs. Uh, Jace McClellan, I thought looked uh, he looked good. Uh, he just didn't look as good as we remember him uh, looking in, in his limited play last season. Looked like he's put on some weight. I'm, I'm uh, not yet going to call it bad weight, uh, but he looks thicker uh, than than he did last year. And so, to to the extent that will impact uh, his burst. I don't know because we didn't see him really get open, uh, you know, for long running lanes against Miami. I don't know if that was a function of uh, the offensive line that we've talked about, or did Miami really say when 21 is back there in the backfield, we got to focus on him because he's the game breaker. I don't know what their game planning was, uh, but they seem to gang tackle uh, Jace with a little more aggression than the other two. It may be just that that's where my mind went when I saw them make a couple of plays, uh, or it could be that they game planned uh, Jace a little more aggressively uh, given the burst that we've seen from him. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he evolves. Uh, still a, just a, a supreme talent at the running back position, and uh, I think he, he's going to be a, a number one or code number one before the before the season is out. And then just uh, hats off to Trey Sanders. Uh, he looked uh, phenomenal. Uh, he, uh, he he looked like he had a swivel back in his hips. Um, uh, if we'll recall, last, last season against Mississippi State was his breakout game. He looked really, really comfortable in that game, and it took him multiple games to get to that level of comfort. Uh, and in that game, he looked like he was going to take off down the stretch. And, of course, that was just days before uh, the car accident. There was a part of me that, that said, hey, it may take him a couple of weeks to get back to that same level of comfort. And it, it turns out it didn't. Uh, he looked very comfortable in the backfield, very comfortable with the ball, very explosive with the ball. And so uh, to the extent that Saban said that he, Trey, was approaching 100% coming into the game, boy, he looked right at it. And if he's got uh, some uptick there, 
uh, I, you know, that's just going to be even more phenomenal. So I like the top three uh, running backs. They all looked very, very good. If I had to rank them, and this may be a thing we do, I don't know. Uh, if I had to rank them one, two, three today, uh, I think I would go Trey, uh, B-Rob, and Jace. And so we'll keep a watch on that. And if that sort of fluctuates, and that may be a fun little feature that we add, how do we rank uh, those backs? Sort of game to game. Every game's a sort of snapshot in time, so we're not ma- not making definitive conclusions. Uh, but as we trend it, uh, we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, nine, uh, uh, Bryce hit nine different receivers, uh, which speaks to depth uh, across receivers uh, as well as Bryce uh, working through his progressions. Again, he scrambled to pass, not scrambled to run. Uh, Paul uh, Tyson came in and uh, added a receiver. Uh, to his sort of roster, so there was uh, there was ten different receivers uh, that call passes. So I thought uh, I thought that was very very good. Uh, again, it speaks to depth and uh, depth and diversity on the roster. Easily could name four or five uh, receivers that I that that will catch passes that didn't. And so you start to look at you know hey there might be fifteen different uh, receivers that are going to be in the rotation for catching balls. So that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That doesn't count all of the uh, running backs necessarily. Uh, I think B. Rob was one of the one of the uh, one of the recipients of a pass, uh, but I think any of the receivers could be. So I think we're easily north of fifteen uh, players that could catch a pass. Uh, is a legitimate target uh, to to catch a pass. So that'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I think some of the better receivers, the higher potential receivers. Uh, that we have on our roster uh, did not catch passes on Saturday. And so, so maybe that's, uh, you know, Billingsley didn't catch a pass. Uh, Ajay High uh, Hall didn't catch a pass. Uh, there are others. Uh, and so that's why I sort of emphasize that point um, that there are highly talented wide receivers, pass receivers that, that were not amongst the 10 uh, that caught a pass. And so to me, that is heartening. And uh, we'll see how that, how that uh, evolves forward. Uh, speaking of those catching a pass, uh, Cameron Latua, or Latou, um, wow, he was exactly what we predicted, uh, just all condensed into a single game, which is means he was much more dynamic than than we predicted. Uh, I thought he might, you know, our prediction was he's going to be a move the chains uh, guy. And he might get seven or eight first downs sort of in key spots over the course of the season. And he might have, you know, maybe two or three touchdowns on the season. Well, you know, he, he, he just whips out two touchdowns in the first uh, uh, in the first game of the season and looked very, very impressive. Uh, the first touchdown near the goal line, he makes a nice move to the outside on the tight end uh, or on the linebacker and then cuts back in. Uh, perfectly placed ball, a uh, little little sort of skinny slant there where he tucks out and and jumps in and just a wide open pass that was very nice. And then uh, his second sort of longer play, uh, and even even Cam said it was just a sort of pitch and catch and run, but uh, he looked like he ran uh, ran something of a, a cross or a curl, uh, found a soft spot in the zone, and then got the ball and, and sort of went to work. A couple of attempted tackles, nothing too aggressive. He was able to run through those, and it's certainly in the, in the uh, end zone as well. So uh, just really pleased with his play uh, and excited what he did. He had a little Irv Smith in him, right? And so that was exciting. Uh, for my money, the the best tight end uh, in the Saban era, when you think about just true, authentic uh, tight ends. And so for Cam to remind me a little bit of Irv, uh, for me – Boy, that's high praise. And people want and expect and look for different things in tight ends. That's fair. But uh, boy, that Irv Smith and uh, looking like Cam now, very, very much like that. Uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, Jaleel Billingsley. He he did play. Uh, and if you watch the game on TV, Todd Blackledge called out, hey, Jaleel Billingsley, this is his first play of the game. This is his first time in the game. And uh, God bless Todd. I love Todd Blackledge. Uh, but no. Uh, Billingsley had been in before and maybe a quarter before, certainly uh, a series or two before. Uh, but Billingsley was the fourth tight end in the game. And, uh, and I thought that was, uh, I thought that was interesting. That was certainly by design. 
And uh, yes, I am counting Kendall uh, as well, but uh, but Miller Tennyson, Major Tennyson, uh, was in there. God bless Miller Tennyson. Uh, ten, uh, 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 Miller Forstall. I'm going to continue to to reverence him for for years. I think, but uh, but yeah, Major uh, Major did play, and of course, we talked about Cam. Now, we, if you want to know, like, well, when did Billingsley go in? If Todd spotted him sometime later, there was a point in the game where the camera caught Coach Saban talking to Billingsley on the sideline. And I think that was after Latou's second, uh, second touchdown. And I made a point uh, with the folks that I was watching. I said, that right there is something that won't be talked about and no one will make a big deal out of those two folks having that conversation right there. But that is a critical uh, component. That is, a, that is, uh, that is an example of why Coach Saban is such a such a brilliant coach and why he's so successful because he cares about the individual. And so, Billingsley has been in the doghouse. We know he's, a, he's an incredibly talented player. And and so, what do we do? We we use the tight end, and then in a moment that is in the middle of the game that no one really expects to see, just the camera catches them. Saban's there having having a conversation with with Billingsley, and you can tell they are having an an authentic sort of man to man uh, conversation. And I know that Saban's like those could be your touchdowns, uh, and so and and just to convert. And but they were having sort of a real conversation, and Billingsley seemed to be engaged and and active in the conversation. And Saban was in the heat of the moment of the battle of the game was taking a moment out to talk to Jalil and talk about you know we want to get you in the game. We know that you're talented. Uh, we got to have you take care of some business, but these can be your touchdowns. These can be your plays. You can be out here scoring those. And I know that was a component of the conversation. Right after that, the next offensive series after that, Billingsley was in the game. Now, I sort of overindulged my excitement for that moment, and I said, I bet you we get Billingsley a touchdown here uh, or you know, before the game's out. And that would have been a little probably two storybook uh, when I look back on it. But we did make, and, and where Todd saw him uh, was when Billingsley made a, a nice play. He was a lead block, uh, sort of an on, on an inside run. And so we didn't just put Billingsley out there just to put him out there. We put him out there in a material role. And the lead block on an inside run is that's that's uh, you know that's nut and bolt uh, activity for a tight end. And so we definitely put him in and uh, and used him in that regard. I think. Uh, maybe I'm just a little too storybook on this as well, but I think we're going to see an uptick in Billingsley's um, attitude. Uh, not that we get to see that, but I think we're the manifestation of that, uh, his play, uh, when he comes in in the rotation, uh, his production, his performance, and and I think positive comments from from Saban as well. So uh, I missed the post game. I'm going to have to go back and, and do that. So hopefully, I, hopefully I'm not saying too many things. Uh, that we are that that, that we kind of know, but if if he didn't talk about Billingsley in the post game, wait for the midweek or maybe even the SEC conference call or the Hey Coach on Thursday. Uh, it'll be a question. Somebody asked the question in Hey Coach um, uh, Thursday, so we'll hear Saban mention uh, Billingsley's name and uh, maybe get some insight in that little sideline conversation. I would I would love that. And then let's see uh, how that plays forward. But uh, definitely want to give uh, definitely want to give some props to. Uh, for to coach and to uh, Jalil uh, in that regard. All right, wrapping the offense, let's go mini game ball like we do. And uh, I've alluded and tried to avoid saying his name, although I didn't. I'm going to give my mini game ball to Kendall Randolph. We talk about uh, guys that just you know contribute below the radar. They don't get the headlines, but their contribution uh, to the team, to the game, uh, to an outcome of a game, potentially even, is uh, it can't be overlooked, although it is underlooked. That's sort of the persona of the the mini game ball. And Kendall Randolph, I think, uh, definitely uh, characterized that this week. Uh, he's a guy that in the start of camp was the starting right tackle, which there was maybe some surprise that, that he was the starting uh, right tackle. He gets a little dinged up, which you think that's just the worst of luck. And so, he effectively loses that job, but guess what he does do? He starts at a tight end position, uh, at, a, at that that sort of thirteen personnel, that blocking uh, tight end position. When he puts on the big eighty five, you know that's really an extra lineman uh, out there. And so Kendall started in that position. 
he may not have been of one of the initial 11 on the first play of the game, but we know that starter, there's a bigger sort of envelope of starting positions based on personnel groupings and such. And uh, Kendall is right there. Um, and he played very, very well uh, in that capacity. And so his attitude clearly is in the right place. His athleticism is clearly in the right place because we will find a place to put him on the field. I think JC nets out at the, uh, at the, at the right tackle spot. And I think Kendall's ability to play that tight end where he could line up outside of JC is what helps enable JC to do that. Uh, if, if Kendall weren't willing to do that or able to do that, then, you know, frankly, Kendall may get the right tackle spot, but because his willingness to contribute to the team and the betterment of the team uh, is would would allow him to play that tackle uh, that that tight end spot, so JC can play the tackle spot. I, I just 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 there's the magic there uh, that coaches just just love, and uh, and I think um, that's something that you're not going to see anywhere. No one's going to say that. No one's going to write an article about it because you know, like no one would read it. Uh, and to the extent that you're listening to me, which a lot of people don't, so <laughs> maybe I should stop talking about it. But uh, I just think that's a damn cool thing that uh, Randolph brings to the equation, uh, to the team, to the line, to the tight end position. And uh, for that, a very well-deserved mini game ball. All right, let's flip the field and let's talk defense. And when I think about the defensive performance for Alabama on Saturday, I just think, yes, 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 yes. This is the defense we've been looking for. Uh, it's deep at every level, and I think this defense is the counterpunch to the spread offense. I think, and I've said this in a couple of different forums, um, I talked about it on a Zoom call uh, recently, you know, when there's a lot of sort of energy and, and sort of a, a simplified narrative of Lane Kiffin came and modernized the offense. I think Part of that's true. Part of that's an oversimplification. But who modernized the defense? Coach Saban did with his recruiting and who who he the type of players and the depth that it levels and the versatility uh, at levels. Saban modernized uh, this defense, and so there was a point in time when he laid his head on the pillow and and sort of dreamt of what can the defense be in this new era. I think this is the defense that he dreamt up, and. Uh, the versatility that this, the, the depth and versatility that this team, uh, this uh, stop squad offers, I think is outstanding. I think, and I saw this in multiple Miami uh, articles, maybe to the extent the fellow mentioned it in, in the interview with Miami, uh, Bill, that Saban struggles, Saban defenses struggle with a mobile quarterback. Well, I think that used to be true. I think this defense, and, you know, it's hard to call uh, Derek. Uh, fully mobile because he's coming back from injury. And so I want to give him credit uh, in, in in both regards. Uh, he's a super talented quarterback, but also coming back from injury. And I, I don't want to uh, heap too much expectation on him. Uh, but he is the type of quarterback that uh, Alabama has struggled with. He's also a good passer. And so it, I'm not calling him uh, a Watson, uh, Deshaun Watson, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, uh, but uh, I'm not calling him a, a Sean Watson because, you know, Watson was sort of the perfect mix of a capable runner as well as a capable uh, runner, uh, passer rather. And I don't know if, uh, you know, Derek King is is quite at that level, but he's he's more in that level than, you know, other other quarterbacks will say. But obviously he's he's, uh, he's coming off the injury. Derek uh, at one point was, you know, 11 of 12, but zero points to show for it and not a whole lot of offensive production. I think he was 11 of 12 at one point, you know, from 70 or 80 yards. So not, not a lot of production. Uh, I think this defense, the versatility and the depth, I want to anchor back to that point. I think this is the defense that Saban sort of envisioned uh, that has the versatility, has the depth, has the talent, has the speed to take on uh, the versatile, uh, the, the, the more versatile mobile uh spread offenses. And so super, super, super duper excited uh, about uh, this defense and uh, how they performed. Uh, you could say, well, you know, Miami sort of un unraveled some of that and, and they were able to move the ball well in the second half. And a little bit they were uh, with some slants and, you know, they're good, you know, they're on scholarship too and their coaches get paid. And so they went in the half and uh, they dialed up uh, uh, a couple of uh, different plays, 
but I think they went to the well too often on the slants. Malachi picked them off one. And, uh, and so I think to the extent that they adjusted, uh, Alabama adjusted uh, certainly as well. So, uh, uh, so I, you know, say that a little bit about the defense again, certainly excited. Uh, when we think about the defense, other than just our excitement about the roster and the team and the players, when we think about, Hey, just, just talk about the performance on the field. What did you see Saturday? Uh, what sort of jumped off the screen at you and, and 150% what jumped off the, the screen at me. And again, a lot of headlines are going to be on this. A lot of people are expecting, you know, great things here, but Will Anderson, uh, you can't talk about the defense without talking about uh, Will Anderson. Uh, he was disruptive uh, and just uh, really just growing into a, uh, a complete player. I saw at least on one play, potentially more than one play, where his man split out. And so he split out. Will Anderson split out uh, in, in coverage. And so you think, I don't know that we would have wanted him to do that. I don't know that the Alabama defensive uh, coaches would have wanted Will to do that last year, but they seemed very comfortable uh, with him doing that uh, this year. Now, as an aside, if I were an offensive coordinator trying to game plan this Alabama defense, I think I would spend the entirety of the first quarter uh, trying to figure out which of my personnel in which of my formations that I could split out would get Will Anderson to go with them. And then I would just spend the rest of the game running those plays. Uh, because if we can get Will sort of out of the play, I would thinking this of, as an opponent, if, if, if Will Anderson is not on, not, in the play at the in in the box and we've got him lined out wide and we just don't pass to that guy then I'll play you 10 on 10 because I'll take that trade every day and so that I don't know how stupid or crazy that sounds but uh if I were an offensive coordinator I would tinker with uh I would tinker with that idea and uh hopefully that's something our coaching staff will sort of uh anticipate and have a game plan for but nonetheless Will Anderson and frankly, I don't even care what his stats were. I think he had two sacks. I don't even care what his stats were. He was disruptive. Where he lines up, the opponent knows that's where he is. And that in and of itself can be disruptive. They're going to shade that way. They're going to sort of force the uh, attempt to force the play that way. Uh, I know they dum- double teamed him. At least once they double teamed him, but Will still made uh, the play. I think he has one of his sacks. I think he had one of his sacks on uh, on a, a, a very poorly executed uh, double team went back and watched that the film on uh, the tape on that one a couple of times. Uh, just a barely, very poorly executed. Uh, the tackle sort of pushed him off to the guard, uh, the pulling guard, without sort of feeling the guard there. And uh, and then by the time the guard got there, Will was had, had run around him, uh, run around both linemen, and uh, and had made the play. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how sort of that un- that unfolds. But uh, uh, as we move forward, but Will Anderson truly uh, a disruptive. Uh, player and again going to get better and better and better and and think about I think he had seven or eight tack, uh, sacks last season and he didn't get his first sack until after the halfway point uh, of the season so think about that the memory we have of him is l- sort of late in the season and and we just kind of think oh yeah he he was that dominant all along we might remember oh yeah he really flashed in that Missouri game he and he and he did but it was just a couple of flashes it wasn't uh dominating the whole game when we think oh he flashed at Missouri and man he was a dominant player at the end of the at the end of the season we sort of think he was dominant the whole season our mind sort of plays that trick on us and the reality is that's not true he started but he struggled uh, in, a, in a sort of a, a relative way. He was a true freshman uh, in an SEC schedule. You would expect that. Uh, but when he truly got more and more comfortable and truly got his legs uh, under him, so to speak, uh, I think he had seven or eight tackles in the last five or six games. Uh, he, he was competing at, at that level. When now he seems bigger, he seems stronger. You know, if he was a T1, he's nicknamed the Terminator. If he was a T1, uh, T1000 last Last season, he's a T3000 this season. Uh, He seems bigger. He seems more chiseled. He seems faster. He seems more confident. Uh, He would go in and and sort of rush and and really take away the runner on the RPO and leave the quarterback. Well, this year, I think he would – the game would be slower for him. I think he could spot the ball. 
Uh, he wouldn't play just the assignment, but he he would then start to play the ball. And I think he'd go in and, and potentially even try to, you know, maybe tackle both of them. So I think he's a better, improved player. Can't say enough good things about Will Anderson. Uh, and, and just I think that will continue to, to be the case. Uh, I think he's going to be a full-fledged uh, weapon across the defensive front uh, for Alabama. Um, it is with uh, sort of the inverse level of excitement, I guess, uh, disappointment that I have for Chris Allen. Chris Allen is a player also that down the stretch, I think he finished with seven or eight uh, sacks uh, last year as well. And he did most of that work uh, down the stretch. And it was mostly overshadowed uh, by Will. But uh, Chris Allen is a player that uh, played at a very high level last season and was playing at a high level uh, on Saturday against Miami before he went down with an injury. It looks like it's a, my first thought was a knee because he's had a knee injury before. Then he was in a boot, and I thought, well, that might be an ankle. And then it turned out uh, that it was his foot. And I kept hoping if I can just get one more update that tells me it's a toe, then it's working its way out, his le- out, out the leg. And, uh, of course, that turns out not to be true. Uh, it is a foot injury, and the uh, initial sort of early reports are that uh, he might be done for the season. And uh, the sentimental portion, uh, sort of part of me, just a little heartbroken over that because uh, I know he's such a hard worker and he's been sort of under the radar for almost his entire career. Uh, as a sophomore, he was about to break out, and that's when he uh, sort of broke his knee the first time. Last year he was breaking out, but it was in the shadow of Will Anderson. And this year it felt like it felt like he was recognized as a co-equal uh, with Will. Uh, which is sort of the highest pub that uh, that that he's gotten, and so he was he was recognized as sort of the bookend opposite of Will Anderson, and so I hate that you know that's that's when he gets in, injured when he was just about to sort of manifest all of his years and all of his experience and all of his time uh, on campus. So I absolutely hate it uh, for Chris uh, Allen. I do think Christopher Allen. I do think that there's a lot of depth behind him. And so as dismissive as this seems to uh, to Christopher, I think we have a lot of t- uh, depth and capability and young talent behind him such that it's not going to be a complete drop-off uh, at the position. And, again, nothing against Chris when I say that. Uh, Drew Sanders uh, stepped in Saturday, and I thought he played well, uh, made some very good plays. He was in on the goal line stand tackle of uh, Derek King to prevent a touchdown. And so that's uh, that speaks to me as a youngster that's – reading the play and not afraid to put his head in there and, and make a play. And so happy to see that for uh, Drew Sanders. I do think we're going to see a more active rotation over there. Drew Sanders might be better in a run situation versus some of the other uh, characters. I like Chris Braswell uh, at the position. I think uh, I like freshman Dallas Turner. I think we're going to see more opportunities for uh, Dallas to get into the rotation and probably saying the name incorrectly, but uh, Cano not. Uh, another freshman, uh, I think, has an opportunity to to get some reps uh, there in the rotation as well. So uh, we might net out not having a single person at the position, but we may net out with sort of a committee uh, manning uh, the position, which can help us uh, from a depth, uh, depth uh, perspective there as well. Phil Mathis, I thought, was just incredibly active early and often uh, throughout the, the game. I, I think he made a number of, of plays and uh, I think I think his energy. We talked about him being a potential leader. I just think his his energy rubs off on the other uh, players up front as well. Toa Toa got uh, dinged up, and uh, I really uh, really hated to see that. It looked like it could be bad, and and I was looking where did the injury happen? It looked like you know when he hit him with the shoulder and knocked the guy out. I was like that didn't look like that bad. And then it was when he hit the ground and sort of rolled. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, I see it now. That's where it happened. And so uh, all reports are that he's going to be back, that he's going to – even Saban says, yeah, he'll, he'll be okay. And so, uh, so that is good. There was a scene on the sideline, and he was sitting next to Jalen Moody after Jalen had just made a play. And they were laughing, and they were cutting up, and, and he has just huge hand – and he had a glove on, and he was scratching his hair. It looked like it fleas because he was really getting after uh, scratching his head. But if you look at it, it's almost like a magician, right? Don't look at what they're flashing around, but watch kind of what you what's harder to see. And so he's talking to to Moody, and he's scratching his head, and he's laughing. And and with his with his uh, I guess his left uh, left arm, and you can see his right arm 
is in a sling. So it was sitting there and so they're trying to immobilize it. But the way that he was just sitting there and cutting up and all that, it looked like he wasn't actively in uh, sort of immense pain. So hopefully that's something that uh, he's going to get some treatment for, uh, be able to come back from, uh, sort of get better and better. Uh, if we limit his his reps against Mercer, that's okay. But if we can get him uh, close to 100% for the Florida game, uh, I think that'd be great. But he looked really good on the field, looked vocal, looked like a leader. And I think he helps Christian Harris. We've heard interviews about this, uh, but I think he helps Christian Harris play a little more free. And uh, I think that's going to benefit the uh, the defense as well. So that, I think that's, that's great news. Uh, I want to talk about the secondary a little bit. And again, there's a word I don't want to use. I don't want to use unsettled because that's negative. However, I don't know that the secondary is fully settled. So again, maybe it's a unit in transition. Brian Branch and Malachi Moore were both on the field together, which is sort of, you know, we've got to figure out a way to get these two guys on the field together. And we talked about that in some of our preseason. How do we do that? And who do you take off the field uh, when you do that? Well, it turns out with DeMarco uh, Hellams injured, then that's that's a way you do it. And we don't want to take Hellams off the field. So we still have the question, how do we get all these cats uh how do we get all these cats on the field? And so what's interesting is now on TV is a little more challenging. So I look forward to some live games. I know that Brian Branch played a lot at the star position. I think Malachi Moore started the game at the uh, star position. And then they just sort of swat, uh, swapped from the safety, uh, really the free safety to the, um, uh, to the to the star position, and so one's a little further back, and then and then one's closer to the line of scrimmage, and I, and that makes me wonder, one, you know, why why are we doing that? Why did we rotate those two uh, players? And it could be that Brian Branch uh, out has outplayed Malachi at the position. Now, last year we can certainly reason that Malachi outplayed uh, Branch because he started at that position and held that position uh, throughout the season until Malachi was injured, and and then. Uh, uh, Brian Branch came in and played very, very well. And so it could be that Branch was maybe a little slower on the uptake in a relative way, but by the end of the season, he was full go. And during the offseason, he was full go. All reports are that he had a phenomenal fall camp. And so it could be that he has supplanted Malachi at the position, which is not a knock on Malachi because Malachi is still one of our best defenders, certainly one of our best secondary players. And so if we can get them both in the field in one capacity or another, I think that's phenomenal. There's another thought that I have. And again, this is just one of those things that I wonder. Malachi missed time last season because of a back injury. And there have been interviews and questions about uh, his back injury. And Saban has said it's, you know, Malachi's back. He's healthy. He's like back you know, in a relative way, uh, he's performing. But the thing about a back injury, and Saban sort of elaborated on this, didn't have to say this, but he said, you know, the thing about a back injury is, you know, he said, I've had back injuries. Um, the thing about a back injury is you never know when it's going to flare back up. And and that's true. Uh, so it makes me wonder when you think about uh, supporting the running game and playing in the box and more hits and more physicality, you're going to have more of that on a consistent basis, more of that at the star position than you will at the safety position. So I wonder, I wonder if it's not a matter of one being better than the other at a position, which it could be that, but if they're equal, then you still might would move them for the long-term health, the long-term option of keeping them both on the field. If you, if you have Malachi, making less physical plays uh, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so that, that that's an interesting thing uh, to keep an eye on there. And certainly when Hellams returns, that's going to be interesting to see. He dressed. I think he was a game time decision. I think that was just let the player dress. I, I didn't expect that he would play, but uh, I don't know that he would play against Mercer necessarily if, if he doesn't need to. But come Florida, it'll be inter- interesting to see because that's when I think the rotations at a lot of positions sort of solidify, especially if injured players are coming back. So it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. God bless a Daniel Wright. Uh, I think Daniel Wright did what we expect from him. Uh, he is super, and that sounds like an ass comment. I don't mean it that way. He is super fast and talented and physical, but sometimes he will just make the wrong play. I do think, and I sort of kidded a little bit, that 
you know, the, the physicality in the uh, in coverage must be something that they don't have in the Big 12 because the Big 12 was was flag happy uh, in the secondary. And, and sometimes they were deserved and sometimes they were not. And and that I think that went both ways. Uh, but uh, I, I think there were I think Daniel Wright was sort of the victim of that. There were a couple of plays that he should not have been flagged. And certainly there were a couple of plays where he should have been been flagged. And so I don't know what they do for passing in the uh, in the Big 12, certainly the games that are in the Big 10, uh, certainly the games that I saw, uh, you know, I would answer not a whole lot. But uh, it could be that uh, those officials are not well versed in covering the, the secondary. And so if I were the SEC, I would try to get Big 12 opponents or Big 12 uh, officials where we can, maybe even ACC officials, anything but back, uh, but uh, but Pac-10. I know we couldn't use ACC because of Miami. We should have gone Big 12 and uh, officials instead of Big 10, but uh, I don't know how the math on that sort of works out nonetheless. Uh, but the secondary, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that shakes out. So let's go mini, uh, mini game ball on uh, defense. And I almost – Went without saying his name, but I think I did um, when we were talking linebackers. I'm giving my mini game ball to uh, Jalen Moody. Uh, he s- stepped in for Hank when Hank w- went down for an injury, and he did not look like he needed to warm up. He looked like he was ready to go. He looked bigger than I remember him last season. He uh, looked a lot more physical, a lot more uh, physical, a lot more, uh, a lot more yoked. Bigger is what I'm trying to say. He looked uh, a lot bigger, a lot more physical, played bigger, uh, and then certainly had a big play, a big interception. And it was fun to see it again. I don't know if I'm projecting, but the team seemed to really rally around him. Now, you always sort of go to the guy who scores uh, or makes the big play or interception and and celebrate that. But there seemed to be, and again, the sentimental part maybe of me coming out, there seemed to be a little bit more there because they knew that he was going to start in that position if Hank didn't come. And when Hank comes, it's almost like you've been demoted by virtue of this this guy showing up. And, and, And that has been the reality of it. And it's not, it's nothing really against Moody in that area. We just have the opportunity to bring in an all-star. And so that's what you do. And so Moody is depth now. Uh, but as soon as he stepped in and had an opportunity to play, he makes a big play. And so the celebration, the rally around him uh, seemed to be maybe even just uh, maybe even just a little bit more than it otherwise would have. All right, so let's flip to uh, special teams I, not really impressive in, uh, with the punting. Uh, I think we had a, I think we had a shank. I think we had a short punt, thirty something yards, uh, and then a shank. And so uh, you think, why do we have to go to Australia to get that? And I'm not knocking the guy, but uh, it just just wasn't pleased with with the punting there. I think I think we're going to see some improvement, uh, but uh, I expected that. I expected to see it immediately. Uh, the field goals. Uh, you know, Will Reichert, he, you know, he came back and did Will Reichert things. Boy, it looked like he had a slice and a hook and a, in one of his kicks, I thought certainly he was going to miss it, uh, but it just sort of curved back in or sliced back in or hooked back in, however it works. And, uh, and he looked very good there. Uh, he was doing the kickoffs and we actually talked about Riker doing kickoffs in our in our preseason show. We talked a little, <laughs> about a lot of stuff. And, uh, and so we talked about whether or not he would do that or one of the other guys did, uh, would until Reichert did. And his first several uh, kicks uh, into the end zone, out of the end zone a couple times. And then he had late in the game, he must have had some leg fatigue. Uh, but late in, later in the game, he had a short kick that didn't get to the end zone and went out of bounds, and so it was flagged. And so I hated to see that. Uh, but uh, I wonder, I, I, I kid, maybe leg fatigue. I don't know because he, uh, he kicked so many. But uh, – uh, early in the game, he was bombing those kicks, and so that was certainly fun to see. The uh, punt return game, zero-level surprise. The Slade, uh, Slade Bolden was uh, the punt returner. Uh, I was hoping to see some JoJo Earl. We think that we will see some some JoJo Earl in the, the punt return game. But I think uh, Miami was using an Australian sort of style punter as well. And so, you know, the the run out and the kick and sort of, I don't know if it's the sort of the trajectory. It's a non-standard. I mean, it's becoming more and more standard. But if you think about, you know, do we want to put the seasoned punt returner back uh, for these different style kicks? Or do we want to put, you know, the true freshman back there for those style of kicks? I think it's a question that answers itself. And that's certainly what we saw Saturday. I think we will see some JoJo. I just not surprised that we didn't see him uh, against a, a 
an Aussie kicker uh, sort of on the other side. Uh, I guess you could kid that, you know, now that we have an Aussie kicker, they can go off to a side field and practice the hell out of JoJo catching those. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have actually done some of that. I don't know with Slate as well, but um, that'll be something interesting to see. And then, <laughs> and damn it, if we didn't see Jaleel Billingsley uh, back there returning the kick again, I, on one hand, I was glad to see it because maybe that represented him being out of the doghouse. And on the other hand, it's like, I don't like our tight end. <laughs> Even our most athletic tight end, I don't like him, uh, uh, you know, fielding kickoffs. So it sort of is what it is in that regard. The So uh, so that's kind of what I got for special teams. When we think about our upcoming opponent, we've got Mercer, the Mercer Bears. You know, I would jokingly say, hey, they scored 66 points in their opener, so maybe we need to watch out. And then I think more realistically that 66 might be the over-under uh, for Alabama score against the Bears. And I don't mean that ugly. I just mean, hey, we've played these guys before. It's a different level. It's not um, It's not a fair fight. And I say all of that recognizing that uh, Saban would chew me a new one for that because the players can't have that mindset. It's fans. It's okay. The players can't. And so there's sort of a, a, a dichotomy there. And I recognize it and I appreciate it. And I think most of our listeners do. So talking amongst ourselves, a 66 to 3, a 66 to 10, that style of game, I wouldn't be surprised. I do think it's a name your score. And I do think we're going to see a lot of players play, a lot of players on both sides of the ball. And so I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be fun. If you don't watch the youngsters, you're going to get bored with this game quickly because the stars will be out and the game will be over and but but if you're watching the rotations and you're watching sort of the future stars uh, for Alabama, which could even be later this season, certainly in seasons to come, uh, then this is one of those. This is one of those. Just grab your popcorn and, and watch the game because you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of players you don't you're not used to seeing and uh, and a lot of production I think from them as well. So that's what I have there. Uh, one thing I'll just sort of wrap with. Uh, I've mentioned the the Zoom calls a couple times. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug them again. Uh, if you have a question about the Zoom calls, I'm gonna direct you to the. Uh, I mean, email me obviously, Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. If you email me, spoiler alert, I'm gonna send you to uh, a page on our website, uh, Alabama Football Podcast dot com. Uh, there's a there's a sort of an article about joining our member team. There's a big sort of on the the side. You can't miss it. It says, you know, support your uh, podcast. Go there and you can find out some more information. But we have sort of a member group. It's, uh, what is it, $18 a year or $2 a month. So join for a couple of months, a couple of dollars, a couple of coffee, and, uh, you know, f- participate in one of the Zoom calls uh, or at least get access to download and listen to uh, the Zoom calls because we have a private feed that that group uh, sort of enjoys and participates in. But nonetheless, on on the Zoom call that we had Saturday, before the Miami game. And it was about a two hour call uh, with uh, 10 or 12 folks and just talking football and just kind of hanging out, if you will, on a Saturday morning talking ball. Uh, We always sort of tradition at the end uh, of those calls. We started them last season or second season. We brought them back where we sort of predict, we predict uh, predict the Alabama game. And so what the, the final was 44 to 13. uh, And uh, Dr. J and I uh, both predicted 41 to 17. So we were really close uh, but sort of uh, the Price is Right style, uh, Wayne said, uh, I'm going to go 42-17. So he said, you know, $1. And, and so he sort of beat us out in that regard. Uh, Clint had Miami at 10, but uh, had the Alabama score very different. Uh, Beth had Miami at 14, but her Alabama score was uh, was way off. So they got the Miami side of it uh, a little closer, but they're farther off on the Alabama. And uh, But Wayne our Cole 42-17, so he's our winner on uh, uh, in that regard. So if you're interested, if you want to pick the score for uh, with us on the call, on the Zoom call next week, uh, then hit us up, uh, join uh, the membership thing. We'll get you a Zoom link, and uh, we'll get those up and running. And I look forward to you joining our conversation. I can't tell you how much fun. I've said this. I've said this to them. I don't know if I've said this on the public show. If I wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to stop doing the podcast because it's a lot of work and as a hobby, I just want to spend my time in different directions. If I wake up one day and make that decision, I will keep the Zoom calls uh, because that's just a bunch of friends talking football. Uh, and sometimes the podcast feels like work and the Zoom call feels like play. 
And so I'm not saying that I'm going to do that. I'm just saying that if I ever do, <laughs> then uh, the Zooms will stay. And so get on the Zooms while you can, right? All right. So that's what I have. Uh, drop us some emails. Uh, leave us a review. Download us. All the stuff that we want you to do to support the show. We very much value uh, and appreciate your support. It helps us keep going. It's motivating. And uh, we certainly uh, enjoy and participate uh, the engagement as well. That is, I can't, I can't put a value on that. Really, really do appreciate it. So uh, reach out and engage us uh, in that regard. So there you go. A little bit shorter show, not a whole lot, I guess, but uh, a little bit. Uh, we'll see how this, uh, this plays out. If you have any feedback, don't hesitate to uh, drop us a note and let us know how that goes as well. In the meantime, yep, you guessed it. This has been another edition of the Alabama football podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.